Hey, good morning, Midtown. Uh, welcome to our first ever live stream uh, worship service. Woohoo! Uh, we did it. Um, if you're in a home church, uh, we hope uh, that you're doing well this morning. If you're just at home with your family or if you're just by yourself, um, I feel you. Uh, we are here <laughs> in the Grady White Sanctuary with just a few of us. And um, be patient with us as we are learning how to do this live stream thing, but we're excited uh, to be gathering at a singular time uh, for January for worship. And so uh, we're obviously sad uh, to not still be able to be face-to-face, but our leadership uh, prayed about it and sought a lot of counsel out. And considering where things are at with COVID cases here in Nashville and the city's needs and our healthcare workers, uh, we felt like this was the best uh, way forward for January. So And um, welcome to 2021, um, or as I like to refer to it, 2020 part dicks. Um, Now, see, if people were in here, there'd be laughter when I say stuff like that. So uh, I heard someone say yesterday that they've had a seven-day trial of 2021, and they want their money back. Um, So (laughs) I, uh, yeah, but... All seriousness, um, we're coming off of another really crazy, uh, disturbing, uh, scary uh, week where the profound uh, brokenness of our world uh, and specifically of our country um, has been on full display where, where sin Sin and its fruit and its effects have been on full display. And I say it like that because if you, if you pull on the thread of what we see going on in our world, the, the Bible, if the Bible's the thing that you're using to pull that thread with, the Bible has an explanation for it, and it, it calls it sin. Because sin does something. Sin always puts me, it puts my will, it puts my agenda It puts my vision for my life at the center of everything. And so as I um, I grieved what I saw, uh, I got angry about what I saw, I got depressed about what I saw, um, but also got convicted um, because I've I've got my own version of marching on the Capitol in my life. And what I mean by that is, is that my sin, my sin wrecks meaningful and beautiful things and relationships too. And so it's good for us as the church, what do we do when we see so much sin and the effects of sin in the world? What do we do is is we come together as the church and we come to the word and we come to the gospel to be reminded of the truth, to repent of our sin and to be restored to sanity in the middle of what feels like an insane and unexplainable time. And when we gather together, whether we gather together in front of our televisions or with whoever we're with right now, even if we're just with the Lord, we gather and we warm ourselves around the fire of the gospel and of God's great love for us. Because when we do that, when we warm ourselves around the gospel, It helps us have his vision for our lives restored. And that's what we're going to be doing in January. January, almost every year since we've been at Midtown, and I've been at Midtown since Midtown became Midtown, right? Typically, at this time of the year, we always revisit 
our mission and our vision as a church. We take a whole month and we spend time preaching through like, why do we do what we do? And why do we exist the way that we exist? And when I say our mission and our vision, it's, it's really just how we as Midtown put language and structure around what we believe ultimately is God's vision for his church in the world. The vision that he has given to all, all the church in his word. And we wanna grasp that vision for our lives, for our relationships, for our communities, for our city, for the world, rather than try to get God on board and grasping my vision for my life. I wanna grasp his vision for my life. That's what we're about here at Midtown. And, and we, we use this term, it's in our mission statement. If you've been around Midtown for a while, you've probably heard this. What does it mean to grasp God's vision for our life? Is this, it's gospel transformation. It's, it's gospel transformation. That's our mission statement. Gospel transformation through multiple locations. Now, we don't have multiple locations right now. We're all, all together, right? But gospel transformation. And what do we mean when we say that? Well, well transformation, we mean this, that the gospel changes everything about our lives. That Jesus meets us. He always meets us no matter where we are, exactly where we are, but he never leaves us there and he never intended to leave us there. He saved us from our sins, but he saved us to something, to a new life in him. And so the gospel transforms everything about our lives. But what is the gospel, right? Like if you've been in church for a long time, you, we throw that word around, Christians throw that word around. And if you're not a believer, or if you're new to the church, you're probably like, what in the heck are you talking about? What is the gospel? Well, this is the gospel. The gospel in a nutshell is a love story. That's what it is. It's the one way, it's the story of the one way love of God for us, his people. It's the, it's the good news. And if there's ever a news feed that we need to be tuning into right now, tuning into, it's this news, the good news of the gospel, his one-way love for us, his people who needed his love in all of our unloveliness, in all of our brokenness, in all of our sin, in all of our need. Places like John 3.16, they just get held up at football games. Well, not now, but they, sometimes they do. Right, that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We look at the cross. We look that he came for us, and that's what we see is love. Or 1 John 4, 8, where it says, God is love. Not God is loving, he is love. He personifies it. All of God's actions stem from his love for his people and for his creation. And so our desire, our goal as a church Midtown is, is that we would mature as Christ followers in the love of God. The gospel would transform us, right? That's what Paul talks about in Colossians when he says that I am, I am strenuously working with all the energy that Christ supplies me and everything that I have in him in order to present you fully mature. That's what we want for our people at Midtown. We want you to become living billboards of God's love his unique love in a unique way because he first loved us and now because of that we can love in the way that he loves. So gospel transformation, grasping his vision for our lives looks like maturing. And maturing, and we, we use four areas at Midtown and kind of try to build these little umbrellas that a lot of maturity can fit under. 
Our desire is to help Midtowners mature in four areas. We want you to mature spiritually in your love for God, mature emotionally in a gospel-centered love for yourself. We want you to mature relationally so that you become a, a great lover of people. And then we want you to mature socially and learn how to love the world around you and beyond you, right? Because we know something, that mature people in Christ, what do they do? They change the world. People who have been transformed by God's love and have received it, they transform everything they touch. That's why Jesus said in John 13 that the world is going to know that you belong to me. This is how we know. That you belong to me because there's a qualitatively different love that you have that is different than any other love that we see in the world. And it's demonstrated, it's evident in your relationships with one another, all the way down to your relationships with people that you consider enemies. That you qualitatively love people, even enemies, totally differently. That's what the gospel says. The gospel says that kind of love is the infallible proof that you are a Christian, right? That you actually have a supernaturally changed heart by the grace of God. Because anybody can love somebody that's easy to love, but loving somebody that's hard to love, that takes something else. It takes a love that reflects and that's rooted in his love. And his love can flow out into every aspect and relationship in our lives. So that's what we're, we're going to do this January. We're going to talk about what does it mean for us to mature in those four areas, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and socially in the love of God. And so to do this, to dig into this in January, we're going to camp out in a passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, it's a famous, but I will argue, we will argue over the course of the next four weeks, a, a wildly misunderstood passage. Um, so I'm going to have Janie uh, read us this passage, and then I'm going to teach a little bit on spiritual maturity. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. 
All right, so uh, I would say if you've been around church, you've heard this read before, but really if you've been uh, to a wedding, you've, you've heard this read before. It's, a, um, it's an incredibly famous passage um, called the chapter of love or the hymn of love, and, and it almost exclusively gets read at weddings. I think even people who don't believe that God exists have this read at their wedding, Right? But it's, it's misunderstood, so I'm excited for us to spend, spend these next four weeks in it. Um, and, and before I dive into it, I'd, I'd even encourage you, I'm going to challenge you with something, because that's what we do at New Year's, right? We challenge each other. I'd challenge you to, to read and sit in this passage every day for the next month, to spend some time meditating on it and letting, letting it sink in past um, maybe what you've, um, you've heard it you know, used for in a wedding, because it's, it's rarely considered in the context that it's written in. And here's the context, it's not a wedding. The context is this, it's to help a young church grow healthy in a Roman world. Let me say that again, it's helping a young church, Paul's trying to help this young church that he planted grow into a healthy, vibrant church in a Roman world. And let me tell you what the Roman world was like at that time. The Roman world was full of sin, it was full of violence, it was full of political power struggles and different religions and race clashes. It had all of it, right? So nothing new under the sun here, what we're going through in 2021. That was Rome, right? And it's not a chapter, this chapter 13, it's not, it's not aimed at being this just kind of poetic sentiment that's supposed to appeal to our emotions and, and to inspire us to be, you know, come on, be better lovers, right? This passage is written as a rebuke to Christians in Corinth who are a part of this church that Paul has planted. And this church was full of immaturity. That's why Janie read it a second ago. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Why he's saying that is because it was a full of immaturity church. It was full of, go read chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians. It was full of all kinds of sexual brokenness and deviancy. It's full, it was a church full of jealousy and envy that was leading to fighting and leading to power struggles and value struggles and who's more important. The first couple chapters, Paul's talking about people are arguing about who's following Paul and who's following Apollos or do you speak in tongues or do you not speak in tongues because you matter more. That was what this chapter was written into, it's a rebuke. Corinth in Paul's day, it was a city of cities. It was, it was the it city. I don't know if you remember uh, a few years ago, Nashville, I think, got that designation by the New York Times. We were the it city. Well, Corinth was the it city. It was a small, four-mile-wide stretch of land with seas on either side, Right? I guess if I had a board, I'd be drawing this right now. You just have to do with my hand motions. A little four-mile-wide four stretch of land with seas on either side, and it was connecting the two main land masses of Greece at the day. And it was a gathering point for education and for commerce and for culture and for transportation. It was where everybody came through. It was like the Panama Canal, right? And it's where you went. You went to Corinth when you left the small town, right? And you went to the big city to go make it. 
And this Corinthian church, it was full of wildly talented and super capable people. It was a spiritually gifted church that God was working in and working through. Like when we read those first three verses, if I speak in the tongue or men and angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong, or if I have the gift of prophecy, or if I can fathom all mystery and knowledge, if I've got faith that can move mountains, which is like leadership gifts that can actually make things move. If I, if I give everything away, you know, these are people who are deeply socially concerned for the poor and the marginalized. That stuff was happening in this church. Paul is not just like waxing eloquent right now and trying to like think of all the things that you could compare love to. These were the things that were happening in the Corinthian church. It was a powerful place. But instead of those gifts of the Holy Spirit building up the church and the church of Corinth becoming a beacon of God's love to the world around it, as the church is meant to be. We're, we're to be the city on the hill, right? The billboard of his love. Instead of that, it was becoming nothing more than a who's the best, who's got the right gift, who's more valuable, who's got the power, who's got the fame. It's, it was like Corinth's got talent competition and Paul is coming in, he's like the Simon Cowell you know, setting them straight. And I'm sure no one has ever uh, compared Paul to Simon Cowell, but I just did it on live television, right? That was what was going on in Corinth. They were hijacking God and his gifts, the gifts that he had given them to build up the church, and they were using them for their own vision, for their own self-glory. Sound like anything we're experiencing today? And Paul is saying, it may all look good on the surface because, man, the, uh, you know, if, if, you were, if you were in an outlying, you know, rural church, Corinth was the church you wanted to go visit. It was the it church, right? And Paul's saying, it may all look good on the surface, Corinthians, but without love, without love, a specific love, being the root, being the source being the power behind everything that you're doing. All of this, everything that you're doing, it's accomplishing nothing. It's gaining nothing, right? It's like, it's like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's nothing. And it's into all of that conflict and into all of that mess and all that chaos that Paul, he's, he's trying to lead them somewhere with this passage. He's, he's literally grabbing them by the chin of their heart. And you didn't even know that your heart had a chin. <laughs> and he's dragging them. He's literally grabbing them back to the very root from which their identity as Christians and their activity of Christians has its, has its origin, has its meaning, has its strength. And that's this, God's love for them. Not anything they can do, because they can clearly do a lot of great things, but God's love for them, because he's saying God's love, it's the start point, it's the finish line, and it's every step in between. God's love for them. Janie started in, in chapter, or the first verse of chapter 13, 
I should have had her read, actually in 1231, it's kind of the beginning. It's the last part of chapter 12, which is all a chapter about spiritual gifts and how they had created this false hierarchy of who matters more because of your spiritual gifts in chapter 12. In chapter 1231, it says, I'm going to show you, in comparison to all of that, I'm going to show you the most excellent way, and it's love. And by the end, he says, at the very end, there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Right? This thing, this love, it's the thing that's above all else. All of your knowledge, all of your wisdom, all of your eloquence, all of your gifts, all of your expressions of social concern, they all, they all fall beneath this thing called love. It's a theme all throughout the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 16, 4 says, do everything that you do in love. And so that if we're going to mature spiritually, if we're going to mature emotionally, if we're going to mature relationally or socially, love, God's love, God's love of us has got to be at the center of it all. So let's talk for a second about spiritual maturity. That's the first one. Let's talk about spiritual maturity because if I'm going to mature in my love of God, I have to start right here. Before I get to any of the other relationships, my relationship to myself emotionally, my relationship to other people or the world, we have to start at the right point because where you start matters. And when it comes to love, this is what this passage teaches, this is what the whole Bible teaches, is this, that we love because we are first loved. That's what 1 John 4, 19 says. So if I'm going to become a great lover of God, right? Which is the, it's the chief end. It's, the, it's, it's what we were created to do is to love God. If I'm going to become a great lover of God, I have to receive and experience God's love for me before I will ever love him or love like him. I have to receive and experience his love for me before I ever will love him and love like him, right? Now, this is hard, and we'll get into this in an upcoming week. It's hard for us because my flesh and my sin, I don't want to be loved on the terms that God loves me. I want to be loved on different terms, right? But if I'm going to mature spiritually, I have to receive God's love for me before I'm ever going to love him and love like him. John 15 says that he is the true vine, and we are the branches. And he says, he teaches us in that passage, you've got to remain in my love for you if you want to bear any of the same love for the world. If you're going to, if you're going to love the world like I love the world, you have to remain in my love for you if you're ever going to do that. Here, in this passage where he talks about it, he says, if I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong. Or if he says, I do not have love, he says that three times there. If I do not have love, if we are to have love, like it's in our possession, right? And for that love to be the place from which we live from, those who we have it, I'm not doing something to get the love, I've already got the love then I have to be loved. I have to have it. And then out of that place, out of the place of already having it, not doing something to get it, I bear that love 
in every area of my life. So then, if if we're going to love God, if we're going to spiritually mature as a church and grow deep in our spiritual maturity, if I'm going to grow into loving God, I first have to be loved by God. To mature in my love for him, I have to mature in his love for me. So let's look at this passage, just a few more minutes, what this passage says about his love for us. How, how do we have love? What sort of love do we have in him, right? Well, Paul, he uses a unique word here for love. There were uh, two common words in this day um, in the Greek language that were used for love, the word eros and the word phileo. And both of those words, those were the common words that were used for love in the day. And both of those words, they're they're common to human beings. They're natural to human beings. Eros, right, is the romantic love that is, you know, rooted in attraction and rooted in desire, right? It's eros. And phileo is is the word that is used. I think that's the word where we get Philadelphia from, the, the city of brotherly love. It's a deep friendship love. It's a love, think of it like this. It's a shared love for another person because you share loves, right? We love a lot of the same things and so we're similar and we love one another like a brother, right? But he doesn't use eros and he doesn't use phileo here. He uses a word agape. And at this point um, in in the Greco-Roman world, agape that word really didn't have any normal usage. It had no footprint in the Greek language. In fact, it's not even really used until the New Testament was written. And so why, if if he's trying to get people to understand and teach them about love and being loving, why would he use this word that really has little to no understanding? Well, To help with this, I'm going to call on one of the great theologians, Will Ferrell. Um, Now, seriously, I was thinking about this SNL skit where uh, Will Ferrell is playing um, James Lipton, uh, who is like an interviewer who had this show called Inside the Actors Studio on the Bravo Network. And yes, I did just refer to the Bravo Network. Um, But... I guess James Lipton was this guy who would like interview actors and talk to them about all the things that they did. And it was a sketch where he was interviewing Alec Baldwin, who was playing some actor. And he says this about the actor's performance. He says, your performance in such and such was brilliant. He goes, no, no, that is not enough. There is no word in the English language to describe your performance's perfection. And so I am forced to make one up, and I shall do so right now. You were scrumtrulescent. <laughs> That's Paul's agape. That's what Paul's doing. He, he's saying th- this agape love of God, it, it's, it's scrumtrulescent. I, I, I literally, Paul's literally, he's using a word, he might even be creating a word, we don't really know, because he's saying, this love is not like all the other loves that you experience, eros or phileo. I'm speaking about the incomparable love of God that comes entirely from the gift of his grace 
entirely by an act of his will, completely by his choice. So I can't just use another word. I got to make one up. I got I to gotta grab one that nobody understands and put that on it. It's agape. It's scrum true lesson, right? It's God's unique love for us. The agape love of God that declares that we are his beloved. We are the apple of his eye. We are the ones that he is fond of, that he will sacrifice for, that he will die for, and he will grow, go to the cross for, even when we are his enemies. When we aren't lovely, he's saying, you're still my chosen. You're my beloved. That's why... We'll get into this more in the upcoming weeks when we go into verses four through seven where he says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. Love is these things. What Paul is doing there is his, he's personifying love. He's not saying love, love acts kindly. <laughs> he's saying love is kind. He's personifying it because he's saying, this love, this is who God is towards me, right? It's who he is towards me. If you keep reading through that list, right? He's not, he's not giving us, I mean, I'm not saying that we, we don't become, and we'll talk about this, patient and kind, but he's not giving us some list to be and trying to get us to live up to these things. Because if you actually pay attention to what you're reading here, this is why it's so crazy that people read this at weddings. Like, you really believe that you can be this for one another? Always kind, always patient. Like, maybe if you have a super high view of yourself, you can be like, yeah, I think I can do that. But when you get down to seven and it says, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. If you don't understand that you can't do that, then Call me and we need to talk. It's bad. <laughs> you, we don't love like that. We're, we're eros and phileo lovers. We're not, we're not naturally agape lovers. But he's saying that's the love that God has for me. It's an always love. A love that always protects, that's always kind, that's always patient. It doesn't dishonor you. It's, it's not a self-seeking love. That's not the gospel. The gospel is a self-emptying love. It's not easily angered. It's, 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 it keeps no record of wrongs. Paul's saying, this, this is the love God has for you. A never failing love. And I either, I either have that love, midtown, you either have it, you've received it from him. Like Proverbs says, what you desire is an unfailing love. It's better to be poor than a liar. <laughs> That's what you want. You want this unfailing love. I either have that love and have received it or my life is marked by the search for it. I've got to have it. And so receive even this sermon as a, as a bit of a rebuke. Do you have that love? Do you have the love that Jesus has offered to you? Are you trying to get that love? Because spiritual maturity begins 
It continues, it ends all, all of it's all wrapped up in receiving and remaining and growing in the love that God has for us. And when you look at this list, and this is the last thing I'll say, when you look at this list, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not dishonoring other people, it's not self-seeking, easily angered, not keeping record of wrongs, not delighting in evil, but rejoicing in the truth. What it, what it should first do, I'm going to give you three H's. <laughs> it should humble you first because you realize I don't love that way. And in and of myself, I can't love that way. And so it humbles me. And when I'm humble, I can actually receive the love, right? I have it. It humbles me and then, and then he holds me, right? He humbles me and then he holds me because when I finally say I can't love like that and I finally let him love me like that, he loves me like that. He holds me. So he humbles me, he holds me, and then eventually, and we'll get to this this month, he hurls me out into the world and says, now in him, you can love like that, but only in him and only in his strength. So I'm gonna transition us now. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm going to use this prayer as a transition, and, and it's a prayer of Paul's in Ephesians 3. And I'd encourage you to lean into this. This was what Paul was praying for the Ephesian church. Uh, would you let this be our prayer for us? This is the passage that if you're in a small group, woohoo! Uh, hopefully your small group can meet uh, in some form or fashion. Uh, and I'll just tell you flat out, small groups are one of the best ways that you can actually spiritually, emotionally, uh, relationally, and socially mature, right? Is by being a part of a group of people who are growing and maturing in their love of God and their love of one another, right? So this is the passage. This, this passage I'm going to read as a prayer to end our time, uh, at least teaching time, is a passage uh, that the small groups are going to discuss this week. And when I, when I read this, receive this as a prayer, and then the worship team is going to carry us into worship uh, and invite us into remaining, like John 15 says, remaining in God's love for us through some more song and reflective prayer to close our time. All right? So pray with me. This is Ephesians 4, or 3. Lord, uh, we join our brother Paul in praying this for ourselves. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Uh, Lord, we humble ourselves uh, and we acknowledge we do not love the way you love many days. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Lord, we have our identity in you and in your love. And so because of that, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with all power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Lord, would you set up residence in my heart. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God.
Amen.